Fresno, Baywood, Orange County, everywhere across the great and fruited plain of California. I'm your humble host, Jonathan Keller, here on today's episode on Monday, August 26th for Life, Family, Liberty. Hope you are having a great uh, start to the week. Hope you had a great weekend. If you are here in Fresno, I hope that you made it out to Greek Fest. Uh, this is one of the best events in the year. If you didn't make it, I apologize to be taunting you because you now have to wait another 362 days. Actually, next year's a leap year, so you got to wait 363 days to Greek Fest, held by St. George Greek Orthodox Church every year. It is a lot of fun. It is also very hot, usually. Uh, it is August in Fresno. So my lovely wife, Julia, and our son, Hudson, and some friends from church, my dad, my brother, we all went out there yesterday and had some amazing Greek food, some chicken, pork, lamb, souvlaki. We had a gyro, had some feta cheese and some uh, moussaka, spanakopita, baklava, all the good Greek food. Uh, but it was into the triple digits by the time we left. And even though they did have some shade, uh, our table was still on the asphalt. Uh, and it was shaded, but it was still asphalt. So it was hot. But it was fun. Uh, it's just a reminder, something that's a little bit outside the normal purview of this show. But it's a good reminder that I think one of the things that makes America so great is the fact that we have so much diversity and so much um, just shared culture that you can have in a city like Fresno that I think a lot of people, if they were just looking at the demographics of it, they would naturally assume that there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, Hispanic cuisine and Hispanic culture, whether that's uh, Mexican-American or Latin American, Central American, uh, you would, of course, assume also, just given the migration patterns, that there's probably going to be a lot of people from the Midwest. So you're going to have some uh, some Okies, some uh, Midwesterners. You're going to have some uh, German, uh, Lutheran, historical people like me. That was how my dad was raised, his family. Uh, so you're going to have a good mix of people. You obviously know, if you know the demographics of California, or of Central California especially, that there's going to be some Armenian communities, some Southeast Asian, Hmong, and Laotian communities. You might not expect that there would be a lot of Greeks, uh, other than the fact that you have Kopi Soteropoulos, who is our, uh, if you're not from Fresno, he is the longstanding fixture of uh, Central California media. He was the weatherman for years and years and years. I mean, I'm talking probably close to 30 years at this point, maybe more in Central California, and he is obviously with a name like Soteropolis. He's, um, he's not uh, Anglo-Saxon, um, but he is a great, uh, great uh, American success story, immigrated here from Greece to California, and uh, went and was an actor in a couple of shows, was a, a television uh, personality, and now is just kind of the in addition to being the head of the um, uh, uh, television with Fox 26, doing lots of television, he also helps lead Greek Fest. So anyway, it was a lot of fun. It's a good opportunity to see the culture that can grow up centered around not just a culture, but obviously the location is the St. George Greek Orthodox Church. So you got to see how uh, people's faith and people's faith traditions 
can help sustain a community even when they are not in exile, but they are in diaspora, I guess. You have, you have people that are so far away from the uh, homeland of Greece, but they are continuing up all these amazing traditions. So just a good re- little reminder and just something kind of fun. So I encourage you if, you, if you have where you live and are listening to this, you have some sort of a Greek fest somewhere. Uh, I strongly encourage you, go check it out. It, it's a lot of fun. And of course, the food is amazing. Okay, so that's probably not why you tuned in to the show today. I mean, I could be wrong. If you if you did, um, come talk to me afterwards or see me on my personal Facebook page or my personal uh, Twitter account. I'm going to try to post. I didn't get any good food p- photos yesterday, but I'll try to post some stuff. So, But if you are watching on Facebook Live, you see that we have a little bit of breaking news. And it is regarding SB24. Uh Last week, we talked about the fact that SB24 was going to be heard, and we have this, this exciting news, a little bit of news, that means there is a, there's a chance, I think, a small chance, that SB24 could be stopped by the legislature. And why would they decide to stop it? Well, it certainly isn't, at least not at this point, because they have um, seen the error of their ways and suddenly become pro-life. I, I wish I could say that was the case, but at least at this point, that's not the case. I wish I could say that it was because dozens of legislators have seen the amazing new Unplanned movie from Abby Johnson. I, I know that that movie, if you've not seen that, there's an incredible depiction of a chemical abortion in that movie that is gut-wrenching. Um, it, and it, the thing is, it's a true story. I remember uh, Abby Johnson talking about that bill, or talk, excuse me, talking about that procedure, um, and when she got a chemical abortion, and she said the only thing that that movie uh, does is that, if anything, it actually sanitizes the process, and it makes it seem less extreme, less violent, less um, aggressive than it actually was for her. So I, I wish I could say that that was why. Um, I wish I could say that it was because solely of all of the advocacy that we at California Family Council have done alongside our friends at uh, Californians for Life and Right to Life Central California and all the other great groups. But I think there is another reason behind that. And I think it is because of an article we published at California Family Council couple of days ago, Greg Burt posted, Gavin, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom's financial officer publicly opposes college abortion bill. So this is from our website, the California Family Council website. Let me read you this brief article. It has a picture of Connie Leva on the front of it, alongside all of these other legislators, state legislators in Sacramento, and they're there in pink with a big hashtag, I stand with PP logo. Uh, Connie Leva there in a pink blazer with a pink scarf. You have Almirat Suchi with a pink tie and a pink overcoat and a pink scarf. You have all these, all these legislators that are taking photos of themselves next to the I Stand with PP banner. You have, oh gosh, I think actually, oh my gosh, is that, I didn't notice that before. I think they actually have Tom Steyer up there. Uh, you have State Senator Hannah Beth Jackson 
who is there with a pair of literal um, boxing gloves. They're Everlast boxing gloves that are big pink and have a PP on the hands. But this is the article from Greg. On the final leg of its approval, Senator Connie Leva's college chemical abortion bill has hit a snag. California's Department of Finance, overseen by Governor Gavin Newsom, now opposes SB 24. In a strongly worded analysis, the agency argued that a lack of financing, lack of needed expertise, and a lack of a workable medical billing system makes the proposal unworkable. Quote, this is from me, but I'll read it because it's in the article. Finally, Governor Newsom's financial experts are acknowledging what we've known for years, said California Family Council President Jonathan Keller. Besides being dangerous for young mothers and deadly to their babies, SP24 is a fiscal disaster. California college health centers should not be bullied into offering abortions on campus. In their two-page bill analysis, this is back to the article, in their two-page bill analysis, the California Department of Finance commended the, quote, laudable goal, gag, the laudable goal of giving students easier access to chemical abortion. But the agency still opposed it for three main reasons. First, the Commission on the Status of Women and Girls charged with administrating the, I'm sorry, administering the program's implementation with only four employees did not have the technical expertise to develop or run a multi-million dollar project of this size, scope, or content, number one. Secondly, while the bill, quote, assumes private funding, unquote, would support startup costs, the university and the state's general fund would ultimately be responsible for cost overruns and ongoing costs starting in 2023. Lastly, the bill requires UC and CSU health centers to create a costly medical billing system. University health centers primarily offer triage and preventative services that are supported by student fees, so insurance billing isn't necessary. If students request abortion, they are referred to local clinics. But, uh, again, I'm adding to the article, this would essentially turn these clinics into many health centers, not just triage, but they would turn them into more full-fledged centers without any sort of, um, the again, the expertise or the ability to actually do that. There's no infrastructure in place. Back to the article. SB 24 is now in the hands of the Assembly Appropriation Committee and its chair, Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez. At the end of next week, she will announce if the bill will make it out of her committee. And that is the deadline, folks. That's why we are talking about this today, because today is Monday, August 26th. By the end of this week is going to be the 31st of August. And the 31st of August is the final day of the legislature. It's the final day uh, for this legislative session. And it's going to be the drop-dead break-even point for all bills that are going to be coming out of Sacramento. So our hope, obviously, is listening to this analysis from State Senator Connie Leva or excuse me, of the bill from State Senator Connie Lee, but listening to the analysis from uh, the Department of Finance, the hope would be that they would be heeded not only by Governor Newsom and that he would um, oppose the bill, that he would veto the bill, but more importantly that because it is a financial analysis that Lorena Gonzalez, who is officially the chair of the Appropriations Committee, that she would realize my job is to be in charge with successfully and responsibly appropriating funds for the state of California, and this bill would not do that. This bill would be a disaster in that regard. And 
my hope is that she would realize that even if she agrees with the goals of the bill, even if she is in agreement with the Department of Finance analysis saying that it is a laudable goal, quote unquote, to provide increased abortion access, even if she says that is what we should be doing, my hope and prayer is that even Lorena Gonzalez would look at this and say, okay, you know, I have to do my duty beyond my ideological view. I have to do my duty as the chair of the Appropriations Committee. And as a result, we are not going to take this bill out of committee. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Whether or not she does that is something else to be seen. And we will have some follow-up on this on today's episode of Life, Family, Liberty. to Life, Family, Liberty. I'm your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you today. Life, Family, Liberty is, as always, a production of California Family Council. Happy to be here with you, actually, in the studios of Right to Life of Central California today. And not joined by uh, John Girardi, but that's okay. Uh, he's uh, got some other things that he's tied up with, but happy to be here in his studios. Thanks, John, for letting us borrow the studio. And thanks to producer Raphael for taking care of us so well. So we were talking in the last segment about SB 24. SB 24, many of you know, is the bill that would mandate California to cover chemical abortion not just cover, but to physically offer, not just refer people, but to offer abortion on college campuses. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't really understand what they are being asked to do here. A lot of, a lot of legislators, I don't think even understand how serious this is, and a lot of them, I think, are just so used to doing Planned Parenthood's bidding that they don't want to acknowledge how serious this actually is. So I, I'm going to play, uh, if you're watching on Facebook Live, you're not going to see this video, um, but you'll be able to just listen to the audio of it. Um, in fact, Raphael, you know what I'm thinking we might be able to do? Just It wouldn't be perfect, but I might try to just see if we can, uh, I'll just make this full screen and you can just aim one of the cameras at it. <laughs> It won't, it won't be perfect, but at least we could have this uh, so people can kind of watch along if they're watching on Facebook. Uh, but I want everybody to hear this because I think this is a video that is really, um, really valuable uh, for people to see uh, and for people to hear. If people are listening online, I want you to hear some of the actual testimony, uh, an actual back and forth from the legislators. This was back at one of the hearings a couple of weeks ago, and State Senator Connie Leva had given this very impassioned defense talking about, oh, you know, this is so horrible that we're even having this discussion. You know, don't these male legislators know, don't these, don't these aggressive anti-choice activists know that abortion is a fundamental constitutional right? And, you know, it's not pro-choice, it's... Uh, it, it, I'm sorry, it, this is not a battle. This bill is not a debate. It's not a battle over pro-choice versus pro-life. This bill is 
whether or not women are just going to be allowed to access these constitutionally protected services. But the vice chair of the committee, vice chair uh, member, I think it was uh, Senator Choi, or Assemblymember Choi, excuse me, he had a phenomenal question, and I want you to listen to Senator Leva, and I want you to hear just the fact that she really has no good answer for this, because this is the reality of chemical abortion. Uh, Senator uh, Leva, I don't want to <clears throat> get into a pro-choice or pro-life question issue, but uh, uh, related to a uh, liability issue and cost. I wonder who's going to be in charge of the medical waste from the chemical abortion performed on UC or CSU campuses since the law clearly states that the CSU and the UC are responsible for the health and the welfare of the students on the campus. It would be handled by the health care centers. Do you have any uh, expectations of how they will handle them? Since I have never done that and I don't work in a health care facility, no, I do not. I would leave it to them. But I think I have a doctor who can help me out. I just want to pause for a second here and just point out that is a completely nonsensical statement because the way that a chemical abortion works is it causes an artificially induced miscarriage. An artificially induced miscarriage, as sadly any women, women, women who have had a miscarriage will know, a miscarriage does not happen at a convenient time in a doctor's office or in a healthcare center. And a miscarriage happens oftentimes spontaneously over the course of m several hours to even several days, and it involves an intense and dramatic amount of cramping and bleeding and pain. And for Senator Leva to say, oh, well, I'm sure the health centers are going to handle it, it's just patently absurd. But he here is the doctor trying to salvage that nonsense answer from Senator Leva. Um Medication abortion is done only up to 10 weeks of pregnancy. So there's pregnancy tissue that would come out that it's expelled. Pregnancy tissue, otherwise known as an unborn child. If the person is five to six weeks, it's it's resembles like the most um, the, the, a very, um, very severe case of menstruation. So it is the contents of the uterus come out over in, in using pads over the course of uh, a day or two. The contents of the uterus. Again, folks, when we talk about the euphemisms and the the. the dramatic mental and linguistic gymnastics that you go through to try to justify what abortion is. When you were talking about a five to six week old embryo, yes, it, it is not a large child, but it is a tiny little child, a tiny little baby. And you just call that pregnancy tissue. It's frankly, it's enough to turn your stomach. Okay. Expanding the liability uh, after issuing such a chemical to students, uh, if there's any complication, severe, unfortunate complications uh, to the student body, um, and uh, who's going to be uh, responsible 
So I would, I would like to answer that. So it would be no different than when a student goes to the health care center and gets suicide counseling. If that student then ultimately committed suicide, is the is the, uh, the USC, CSU or UC responsible for that? So the health care centers also offer diabetic counseling. If the student went into a diabetic coma, would the health care center then be responsible for that as well? So it's similar to those issues. And, and regardless of whether the student receives the medicated medication for the medicated abortion on campus or off campus, they will still be going back to their dorm room. I personally feel uh, that uh, this kind of an issue is more personal rather than institution. The campuses uh, will have to step in and encourage and help how to conduct them, you know, essentially abortion. And so this is uh, my moral issue. I would not be able to support. Thank you. So, as I said, Senator Leva obviously does not know (laughs) what she's talking about. Um, Senator Leva is... Oh my gosh! That entire the, the entire exchange, the entire discussion, is just crazy to me. That you have such a you have such a crazy and um, callous and dispassionate discussion of contents of the uterus and pregnancy tissue, and the fact that you are wanting to create a system by which hundreds more unborn children are killed on UC campuses every year. We'll talk more about that when we come back on Life, Family, Liberty. Welcome back to Life, Family, Liberty. I am your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you today. Hope that all is well. And just coming back and chatting with you briefly about the uh, information that we have at CaliforniaFamily.org. Lots of posts up there over the last week. I strongly encourage you, if you have not been visiting our website regularly, go to CaliforniaFamily.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash CaliforniaFamily, Twitter.com slash CA Family, like the letters CA and family, the, the abbreviation for California. And I wanted to, uh, wanted to play for you, I think, some audio. Not going to play you the video, but I'm going to at least play you the audio from um, the Bishop of Sacramento. This is Bishop Soto from the Diocese of Sacramento, and he is talking about the dangers of SB24 and why the Catholic Conference is opposed to SB 24. Greetings. I am Bishop Jaime Soto, the Bishop of the Diocese of Sacramento. As we reflect on the resurrection of Jesus this Easter, we are reminded as disciples that we are called to be witnesses to life. As witnesses to life, I urge Catholics to oppose SB 24 a bill that would require every UC and CSU campus healthcare clinic to provide to students abortion by medication by state-paid campus staff. 
The state of California should have no role in encouraging or funding abortions at our public universities. The womb should not become a tomb for any child anywhere in this state. Women and children deserve better. As Catholics, we recognize the sacredness of human life and are opposed to any legislation that strips the basic human right to life. SB 24 hurts young women by promoting abortion-inducing drugs like the abortion pill RU486 on college campuses. These pills cause a miscarriage during the first 10 weeks of pregnancy and may result in pain and harmful complications to the young woman, including hemorrhaging and or delivery of fetal remains in dormitory rooms and public restrooms, both on and off campus. For these reasons, I urge Catholics to oppose SB 24. Call your state senators and assembly members. Tell them to stop the promotion of a culture of death on our college campuses. Be a messenger of Easter hope and joy. God bless. So again, that is Bishop Jaime Soto of the Diocese of Sacramento. Bishop Soto is, I think, giving voice to the concerns of not only a lot of Catholics, but a lot of other key faith leaders. And I would wish that we would have seen more um, outreach. We would see more pushback on SB 24 from other key uh, faith leaders, whether they are evangelical or a mainline Protestant or Jewish. Uh, but this is what we have right now. So I want to go ahead and uh, read for you an article from a good friend of ours, Bernadette Tacey. Now, some of you may have met Bernadette before. You may have heard Bernadette. Uh, she was just featured, if you get the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom monthly Alliance Alert, Alliance Update magazine. She was just featured in the cover story of that. But I want to start an article that she wrote, and then we'll finish it after the break. But this is something that she wrote that appeared in The Federalist, and it's called, Why Handing Out Abortion Pills on California State Campuses is a Horrific Idea. And the subhead is, When a pro-life legislator questioned how public universities are expected to handle the biomedical waste from chemical abortions, the author and her expert witness struggled to respond. And this is referring to that video that we just watched in the last segment. Bernadette says, I recently addressed a California State Assembly Committee to talk about Senate Bill 24, one of the many abortion experiments legislators are considering in my home state. It would mandate all California public universities distribute RU486 abortion pills in their student health centers. These pills cause abortions for women who are up to 10 weeks pregnant, well after which the baby has developed a heartbeat. Tensions were high as my colleague and I began our very short allowance of two minutes each to explain our position. Given the risks to my peers and fellow Californians, I had to try. Providing abortion on school campuses is already a ridiculous concept, but the bill, which is expected to go before the full California Assembly by summer's end, contains numerous flaws. My testimony consisted of three main points. First, the bill author, State Senator Connie Leva, continuously argues that the bill is about 
access, quote unquote, to abortion, and that public university campuses are not in close proximity to the abortion pill providers. Most campuses, however, are within just a few miles of these facilities. The bill places the mandate on all 34 college campuses, costing millions of dollars for a completely unnecessary program. Second, although the bill is supposed to save students money for car service transportation to off-campus abortion appointments, the public university systems have repeatedly stated that they will need to raise mandatory student fees to fund this on-campus program. And in California, Medi-Cal patients receive free transportation services to these appointments anyway. Third, one of the author's key witnesses testifying at several hearings in support of the bill co-authored an article demonstrating the failure rate of RU486. If a, the student is six weeks pregnant when she takes the pills, the failure rate is 3%. But if the woman is nine to 10 weeks pregnant, the failure rate is at more than 15%. The author estimates that 500 students will take these drugs statewide on campus each month. So at least 15 to 75 students will have a failed abortion each month and need a second surgical abortion. My colleague, a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley, pointed out concerns regarding the safety of the abortion pill and the fact that there is, are no conscience protections for student health center professionals, nor for the student funding the program with their mandatory fees. The morality of abortion was not mentioned in the hearing. The bill is so poorly designed that it continues to be opposed even by pro-choice people, including California's former governor, Jerry Brown, who vetoed last year's version of the bill, SB 320. When a pro-life legislator questioned how the universities are expected to handle the biomedical waste that would be left in campus bathrooms and the sewage system after the abortions, the author and her ex expert witness struggled to respond, ultimately pushing aside the answer to the question. Although the University of California and California State University systems have not supported the bill, their testimony has changed very little from the first hearing in 2017 to their most recent hearing, and their reluctance is clear. They stress the continuing regard, the concerns regarding financial liability and appropriateness of maintaining an abortion program on campus. Folks, we'll be back to finish this article and to wrap up today's segment of Life, Family, Liberty. back to Life, Family, Liberty. I am your host, Jonathan Keller. Happy to be with you today. You're all having a great start to the week, and I am looking forward to a busy week of events and hearings. We have conference call as soon as the radio show gets over. We have a Sacramento hearing tomorrow up at the Capitol. We have a, uh, let's see here, Orange County meetings on Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, we've got, golly, Labor Day over the weekend and then board meeting next week and a pro-life conference. I mean, so many different things on the docket. Lots of irons in the fire. Had a little bit of a more relaxing week last week uh, in that I was not traveling. <laughs> but now it's kind of back in the saddle. Lots of, uh, lots of craziness, lots of busyness. So, I wanted to finish up the article that we were sharing with you before the break. This is from Bernadette Tacey, who is a former head of the Students for Life Club at Fresno State, Fresno State Students for Life. Uh, she mentioned her testimony and her two-minute testimony about the dangers of the bill. So 
because we didn't get to play that in the last segment, I want to go ahead and play that for you. And then we'll uh, come back and finish her article after that. So here is Bernadette Tacey talking about SB24. My name is Bernadette Tacey, and I just graduated with my MA from Fresno State, and I'm also the president of Fresno Pro-Life Future. I strongly oppose this bill, and I'd like to give my top three reasons why this bill contradicts itself. Number one, this is supposed to be about access, but the bill still places the mandate on all public universities, even though many schools have an abortion pill provider within just a few miles of the campuses. Yet, there has been no discussion of an exemption for schools like these. Number two, Estimates for time taken to travel to the abortion pill provider are based on public transportation, taking much more time than, say, an Uber. Of course, an Uber has a small charge, but is much faster than the 30-minute bus route estimate presented by proponents of the bill. Last year, the author stated that this Uber cost would be more of a burden. However, for one thing, if you're on Medi-Cal, transportation services are provided for free, and the CSU and UC systems both state in appropriations committee analyses both last year and this year that the funds for SB24 are insufficient by the millions and that the cost would likely fall to the students. So although this bill should be saving us from spending more money on an Uber, it will actually cost us more in our mandatory student fees. Number three, Dr. Daniel Grossman, who has testified in support of this bill several times, co-authored an article stating that the failure rate of these pills is between 3 and over 15%. This number varies depending on how far along the woman is in her pregnancy. So if all of the students take the pills in the sixth week of pregnancy, there might be a 3% fail rate. But if they're in the ninth week of pregnancy, it might be over 15%. And if we go with the author's estimate of 500 students using this service each month, this means that anywhere between 15 and 75 girls would need a follow-up surgical abortion each month. Several pro-choice individuals have signed our petition against this bill, and our own former pro-choice Governor Brown vetoed this bill because it is irresponsible and unnecessary. There are more questions than answers regarding this bill, and because of that, I respectfully ask for your no vote or abstain from voting. Thank you. Great job by Bernadette, and in case you're wondering, that was one minute and 59 seconds. (laughs) Almost perfect. So uh, let me go back and finish reading her article here. Um, and let you, uh, let you hear the remainder of what she said here. Uh, again, recapping a little bit, talking about the video that we saw two segments ago, when a pro-life legislator questioned how universities are expected to handle the biomedical waste that would be left in campus bathrooms and the sewage system after abortions, the author and her expert witness struggled to respond, ultimately pushing aside the question. I... I hate to be so graphic here on the, in the morning, but I, I, need, I need to just explain something here. If you have not seen the video from Abby Johnson, uh, you can go to our website. You can look. You can go to our YouTube channel. We have a six-minute clip from the unplanned movie that specifically dramatizes what a chemical abortion is like for the woman. And again, Abby Johnson, who's a former uh, president of a local Planned Parenthood clinic, and she is also a post-abortive woman. She had both a surgical abortion and she had a chemical abortion. In the case of the chemical abortion, she is, uh, she has said that the dramatized version of her story, the only thing that was inaccurate about it was that they had to tone it down uh, to have a, to get past the rating sensors. Uh, she said that if it was a real chemical abortion, if it was her experience, she would have had more blood and it would have been more excruciating, even than what you see in the video. 
But essentially, when Senator Leva and this this expert witness doctor are talking about the fact that it is causing to empty the contents of the uterus, and there is a lot of pregnancy tissue, uh, folks, it's just so euphemistic, it's incredibly disturbing. The idea that you're saying that an unborn child... Now, yes, there is also the placenta. that That is pregnancy tissue. But a child is not pregnancy tissue. A child even at an early embryonic stage, has a mother, has a father. Pregnancy tissue does not have a mother and a father. Uh, a blood clot does not have a mother and a father. A blood clot or the placenta does not have a uh, genetic code that is unique and distinct from both the mother and the father. That is a unique combination of both of them. None of, the, none of that so-called pregnancy tissue would develop and grow into a full-term human being that would be delivered at nine months. But that is all that the legislators are talking about. That's all that this doctor is talking about, is so-called pregnancy tissue. Let me go on. Although the University of California and the California State University school systems have not supported the bill, and their recent testimony has changed very little from their first hearing in 2017 to the most recent hearing this past June, the reluctance of the universities is clear. They stress concerns regarding financial liability and the appropriateness of maintaining an abortion program on campus. This is Bernadette that goes on. In most of the SB24 hearings I have attended, the bill's author has had a student testify about being unable to get abortion pills in time. Leading, a student leading to the student obtaining a surgical abortion instead. The UC representative's testimony points out that this issue was a result of the university's referral process, but that it does not warrant the dramatic response of mandating that every public university become an abortion provider. Of course, with the high failure rate of the drugs, the student's experience may include a second surgical abortion anyway. The legislators ignored our comments. The author did not respond to any of the arguments my colleague, the pro-life legislator, the University of California, or I made. Each legislator who continues to vote in favor of this bill simply turns a blind eye to any serious concerns or even contradictions within the bill itself. This isn't about pro-life versus pro-choice. It's about common sense versus a radically ideological agenda. California legislators this term are considering several bills or resolutions that either directly or indirectly propel a pro-abortion agenda, including one that even offers a tax credit for motion pictures made in California rather than states that restrict abortion. Uh, side note, yes, that is actually true. California is looking at trying to bring people, bring uh, organizations and filmmaking back from Georgia to California because of the tax credit side of things. They're trying to say, if you leave a pro-life state that has enacted pro-life laws, we will instead allow you to get a tax break here in the state of California. Not if you leave a pro-choice state like New York or Washington, just if you leave a pro-life state. In 2016, back to the article by Bernadette, in 2016, the state approved a sexual education curriculum written by organizations including Planned Parenthood and the American Civil Liberties Union. This is now undergoing revisions that include proposed sexual education content as early as kindergarten. And at one point, even encouraging sexual behavior as young as fifth grade. Most, if not all of these bills, resolutions, and revisions will likely pass. 
California is one of the most aggressively pro-abortion states in America. It has 150 abortion facilities and more than 500 abortion providers statewide. That includes chemical abortion, surgical abortion, and hospitals. No restriction on race or sex selection abortion. No requirement for verbal counseling, including optional ultrasound information for women to make an informed decision during pregnancy. In fact, California is the one and only state listed as very supportive of abortion rights in the pro-choice Guttmacher Institute's latest analysis of state abortion laws. Being active in this fight for the last three years as I attended a California public university, I know I have a lot to learn, yet I have already seen so much of the politics surrounding the legislature's abortion agenda. I am grieved by the carelessness of our representatives who would push forward this reckless bill despite its many problems. But if you think this extremism will stay right here in California, think again. It's looking more and more like we're just the guinea pig state. Folks, I, I think Bernadette's article, I, I strongly encourage you, if you just go uh, Google it, why handing out abortion pills on California state campuses is a, is a horrific idea. I will also tweet it out on both my personal page and on the California Family Council Twitter account. But I encourage you, uh, there is still a small window of opportunity to oppose this bill. As we said in the first segment, the legislature is right now debating whether or not they're actually going to support this bill. We, we still have a glimmer of hope, a small window of opportunity to stop this bill. We still have a slight opportunity to push back. And if somehow the legislature listens, we will be able to finally stop it. Or if Governor Newsom listens to his own finance department, we may be able to stop it. I again encourage you, I beg you, please log on, send letters, share this article, share this podcast with your friends, and we will be back hopefully next week with a good update on another episode of Life, Family, Liberty.